Hello and welcome back to Loogie for episode 14. I'm your host, Zach, here with Jack and Andrew, as always. The Mets since last episode have an abysmal record of 1-3, and three, three runs scored per game, 5.5 allowed per game, still third in the standings, 5.5 back from the Braves, and 7 back from the wild card now. It was a rough week, gentlemen. Jack, I know you've got a lot to say, so we'll start with you. What are your general week impressions? I I have a lot to say, but it'll sound like every other week. Um, Well, you know, it's the same old thing. Uh, We're not hitting. And I'm really very sorry to our starting pitchers, Rich Hill, Walker, who are continue to just keep us in games and pitch so well and pitch really very gutty performances from these guys. And what do we have to show for it? Absolutely nothing. Um, But really, I think Friday was like a microcosm of this season. It was certainly a microcosm of why Louie needs to be fired. And I just got to talk about what, what went down, how poor of managing it went on that night. Now, Taiwan Walker started, and he pitched beautifully. We were de- uh, That was Friday night against the Phillies. He pitched five innings. He had given up three hits. He had walked nobody, had only thrown 88 pitches. We are now down two to one. We come into the bottom of the fifth, and Walker's due up. And Louie decides, as beautifully as the veteran Walker has pitched, mm-hmm. he's got to come out of the game for a pinch hitter. Now, when it's two to one, you have to be thinking about you have a lot of moves left to make the rest of the game. If this game remains tight and perhaps goes into extra innings, you're going to have a lot of opportunities where you're going to be pinch hitting, bringing in new pitchers. You know, you don't want to waste guys early in a tight game like this. That Mm -hmm. did not matter to Louie at this time. So here comes Giorme to pinch hit with Walker due to lead off the bottom of the fifth. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, even last night, um, the Philly kid who pitched so well against us, Girardi let him bat in the bottom of six and go ahead and pitch into the seventh because he knows in a tight game, you need players available. You need to make moves later in the game. But he's going to burn Guillaume right here. So that in itself was a terrible move. Afterward, he said he was worried about Taiwan Walker Am I saying his name right? Yeah, that's right. Taiwan Walker <laughs> going the third time through the lineup and fight and, and facing Bryce Harper. I'm like, is this going to happen every time Taiwan Walker pitches for us? You have a good left-handed batter do up the third time through the lineup. Are you going to say, I don't care how good you're pitching. You're coming out. He had just said the other night, I like to keep him in when they're going well. Taiwan Walker's going really well. So it was garbage. So here comes Loop to pitch to six, which is like his favorite thing to do. I think he's thinking Loop gets it through the sixth. Now I can manage seven, eight, and nine. Mm-hmm. So Loop, brilliant in relief in the top of the sixth. 11 pitches. 11 pitches. And he's done. So now I'm thinking, okay, Loop is not due up in the bottom of the sixth. So why not roll him out for the seventh? Which, of mm-hmm. course, he never does. So now it's time. Oh, well, hold on. The bottom of the six. I'm sorry, but the bottom of the six, <laughs> Alvarado comes on for Wheeler. Okay, Alvarado, left-handed pitcher. Now we got two outs and a man on first. In the sixth inning, 
Jeff McNeil is due up. McNeil hits lefties fairly well at a 250 clip. Now, granted, Alvarado's tough on lefties, but McNeil is due up with a man on first. He pinch hits J.D. Davis in the sixth inning for Jeff McNeil in a two-to-one ball game. I mean, do you, do, does he not understand, hey, I might need D. Davis in the eighth, in the ninth, in the tenth. Mm-hmm. No, here comes Davis in the sixth. Of course, he makes an out. Now, who's going to play left field? Here comes Pilar. Pilar's going to move into that left field slot. So now you've, by the end of the sixth, you've burned Loop, because Loop is not going to pitch the seventh. You've burned Guillaume to pinch hit. You've burned J.D. Davis to pinch it, and now Pilar is not available to you on the bench anymore because you're putting him in left field. Your bench is nearly completely depleted. In fact, again, Lugie, ahead of this curve, Albert Omora did get optioned after I complained last week how he's our last option on the bench, and, and that you know you got a bad team when Albert Omora is your last hope in the bottom of the tenth. Mm-hmm. So... Unfortunately, Jose Peraza is now our our last guy on the <laughs> So I don't know how much that gains us, but at least they listened to Lugie and, and sent Almora out. That's so true. now you've burned, as I said, Dave McNeil's out of the game. Pilar is playing left field. Davis is done. Guillaume's gone. You don't want Luke to pitch the seventh, so now you got to bring in Lugo. And guess what? He gives up two runs. So golly gee willikers, I bet, I bet Luke probably could have got through the seventh. But no, it's got to be uh, Lugo, and he gives up two runs. So now, okay, now the eighth inning comes, and it's the top of the order. So we've got lefty, righty, lefty. So, of course, you know, Bryce Harper's two up, so we're going to bring in Brad Hand. Brad Hand gives up a double and a single to the first two batters in the lineup. And then he gets Harper out on a flyout, and then it's time to bring in Familia. And I'm like, why don't you start Familia? Because he's a better pitcher against the one-two batters in that lineup. And if you got to go to Brad Hand to get the lefty out, have him ready to go to Harper. Otherwise, you've now you've burned Brad Hand. You've burned Familia to get one out because guess what? Familia, he gets one out, he's done. He doesn't come out to pitch again. So it's just mm-hmm. really bad managing to me by by Louie, the way he's handling and, and these are this is a tight game. This is a playoff race. So you've got to think about what am I going to do? I got to have guys available to me in the eighth, ninth, and tenth. And guess who came on to make the last out was uh, Peraza. So I just, it's just, he's done. He's done. I, I, he, he doesn't know how to manage. He manages them like children. And uh, he needs to go back and manage in the minor league. So I don't know. Maybe Andrew, <laughs> maybe Andrew can call me out on something I'm missing here. No, you're you're not missing anything. The the one thing that stuck out to me is you mentioned the JD Davis pinch hitting for oh, McNeil. And mm-hmm. my main issue with that is, you know, we we claim to be this analytical team that's like the direction that we're moving towards, always going off of the stats and going off the matchups. If you look at JD Davis, you know, there's this stereotype with JD McNeil or with JD Davis where he's better against lefties but he's really not for the past two years he's been better against righties and then even in 2018 he was slightly better against lefties but for some reason we keep pitch hitting him against lefties when then you have mcneil who is hitting well and maybe even better against lefties it's things like that that make no sense to me i mean mcneil honestly i mean granted he's having off here is one of your best hitters obviously 
it is two outs in the sixth, and you make that move there. You have a valuable piece on the bench, and it's a, it's a guy in first, too. So it's not like there's a guy in second, and all he has to do is get a little single, and, and then we can get a run out of the deal. I mean, the guy's got to get an extra bait. He's got to do something big. Mm-hmm. So it's just, I mean, that's just, just an uncalled for move. He hasn't done that all year. When McNeil's coming up in the, in the middle in a 6-7, he hasn't pitched it for McNeil all year. All of a sudden, this game, I mean, as you said, Andrew, against lefties, these guys are almost equal anyway. So it was just, uh, it was just awful. But I think the most egregious, egregious? That'll most, work. Most terrible. <laughs> it all started by not letting Walker come out for the sixth. And then mm-hmm. it was just a domino effect. Because you had to burn Gilliorn, but you had to burn Loop. If you'd let him bat and pitch the six, get you into the seventh at 2-1, then you could start making these types of moves. But just terrible. To let Walker pitch just five innings and 88 pitches, and Walker was pissed after the game. He did not want to come out. So all the more reason why that man should have pitched in the sixth inning. So, But more of the same, right, Andrew? This is just more of the Did you see anything different this week? I mean... No, not at all. They're... Like you said, they're doing the exact same things. They still can't hit with runners in scoring position for mm-hmm. it's been what two, three years now with that problem. Um, yeah, more more questionable calls, like you're saying, and yeah, nothing nothing's changing, unfortunately. It almost looks like he knows he's done the way the way he's acting there in the dugout. But I think I actually saw him just smoking a doobie. Um, when yeah. the camera cut to him between innings, <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy really knows he's done, apparently. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think Joust has gone senile, which hasn't <laughs> helped the cause. Yeah, he but... thinks it's still June. He thinks there's still a penalty <laughs> going on, you know? He's like, come on, boys, we can do it. When do I get to pitch the home run derby? <laughs> yeah, right. Come on, I want to pitch eight home run derby next year, guys. Come on. <laughs> Save Louie's job. Uh, I don't want to have to do that damn loogie podcast. Uh, I'd rather <laughs> pitch a home run derby. Uh, come on, he's better off here now at this point. Uh, well, there there was another game. We were on ESPN the other night, or I say we. Uh, the Mets were on ESPN the other night, Sunday Night Baseball. Jack, I know you love ESPN, but Andrew, how do you feel about the uh, the ESPN broadcast? Uh, it's so it's just so bad. Like we've had, I think, three games in the last two weeks on ESPN. We had. Mm-hmm that 9-11 game uh-huh. then we had the subway series the lindor three home run game and then now this one which i was really annoyed about the three home run game that we didn't get to hear gary call it because yeah. that would have just yeah. been so exciting same thing with two years ago with alonzo when he hit his 53rd home run to break the record and it was on fox or something so we didn't even get to hear gary so that part sucks but then ESPN is just the worst <laughs> worst sports broadcast I think that I have ever seen. I mean, it starts with obviously Vasgersian and A-Rod. You know, Vasgersian and only A-Rod. Vasgersian's <laughs> okay. I think I mainly am sick of him is cuz he announced the uh the MLB the show video game, so I'm already I hear his voice all the time. Uh, okay. So I'm just done with him. But A-Rod obviously is just so bad. And I, I don't understand it because he is someone who's had a really interesting baseball career. He's had so many yeah. different things happen to him, Yeah, you know, where he signed one of the biggest contracts ever at the time. 
I mean, playing with Derek Jeter, having to switch positions. I mean, obviously the steroid thing. And there's so much Mm -hmm. that he could talk about and that he could relate to the game. Yep. And he just doesn't. He, If you listen to him, it sounds like he's a guy who never even played baseball before. (laughs) It really sounds like... It, what it sounds like is is that he thinks we're so stupid that he's going to sound smart to us. Yeah. And he thinks he's fooling us, but he doesn't understand. We're talk, he's talking. See, in the old days, when you had a game of the week, for a lot of people, it was one of the few times they got to see different teams and different players and and really watch watch a game. Now people are watching games every night from all over the country. So when uh-huh. they come on, it's not like they're bringing they, – they, their mindset shouldn't be this is special, you know, dun, 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 Sunday night baseball. It's not that <laughs> anymore. Now it's just another game. So uh-huh. the, I agree with you, Andrew. you got to treat it more like it's another game where you're just hanging out and talking to friends and your fans and you're just kind of like enjoying the game itself, not trying to make yourself <laughs> – be so much smarter than every other announcer that announces is what he's trying to be it seems and they do this other thing all the time on espn where they will just pick a player and just focus on him and obviously we've seen it especially over these past couple years with bryce harper where they will just talk about bryce harper for what feels like half of the game Mm -hmm. it's like every two seconds they're talking about him they'll cut to some interview with him and you miss like two pitches of the game because they're just yeah. just talking about something that yeah. we just don't care about. Mm-hmm. But the other thing, well, I had two more things to say about this. One, I saw this video from last night. It was a clip from last night's game. And it was three minutes straight of Matt and A-Rod talking and not mentioning the game once. Right. <laughs> Yes. They went for three straight minutes just talking about how important it is to have good pitching and how important it is for your pitchers to stay healthy and this whole long thing. The game was two to two in the top of the sixth in a huge game. I mean, it's bigger for the Phillies now that the Mets are kind of out of it, but a huge game for the Phillies with playoff implications. And they literally don't mention a single thing about the game for three straight minutes. Yeah. Well, like I said, that goes back to the. It goes back to they. They think they have to show that you're smarter than your local guys. You know, they give you more insight than their local guys. Mm-hmm. But it's also, um, it's just that that ignorance that that they just think that they're smarter than us, and and they're not. It's just, um, it's ridiculous. And when you're watching um, your team on ESPN. Mm-hmm. When they do talk about those things, like when they focus on Harper, it's yeah. always things you've heard a thousand times because exactly. you're a fan of your team. So it's like right. even less enjoyable to watch because you don't yeah. care anymore. Like, you know everything about these guys. Yeah, you also kind of realize that they don't even know anything. Like, they'll <laughs> right. say yeah. stuff that's it's blatantly like wrong. Yeah. That's the truth. That's but the, truth. the last thing that gets me every time, and I, I'll never not notice it, and it, I mean, I think everyone notices it, but... The microphones in an ESPN game are some of the weirdest things ever. Like, it's like they have a microphone on the bat. Every time a player makes contact, it sounds like a missile taking (laughs) off. Like, it'll be a little pop-up to, like, shallow center field, and it sounds like the ball went 600 feet. I wonder why. There must be a reason for that. 
Well, I'll tell you one of the reasons for that is that um, they think, they believe, and this is why some of those discussions they have take place, they think that they have to bring something new and different to the table that you're not already getting with your local broadcasts. Um, so that's part of it. It's like, let's put some microphones in different places and get different sounds because you know, these, we got to be better. We got to be different than what, the, what people are getting all week already. And that sucks because usually those attempts are going to fail and they're going to look like idiots because it doesn't add anything to the game. I think it's for the people that fall asleep watching baseball. It wakes them up. Well, I hate that too. <laughs> you know, you're right because I'm usually asleep by the fourth inning and then I got to hear a crack of the bat or somebody start screaming. And I'm maybe thinking, they, yeah, yeah may, maybe they shouldn't have it loud so that they don't wake up and they accidentally leave a rod on talking all night. Because they would yeah. change the channel otherwise. <laughs> well, I was thinking I just need to start drinking a little bit later today, maybe. But <laughs> anyway. Oh. All right, boys. Will the Mets make the playoffs? That's our next topic of discussion. We brought it up the last two weeks. And they were, you know, the, the percentages were low. I had but zero both weeks. Is it? <laughs> so I, is it getting negative neg- 10? Is it getting into the negatives for you, Jack? Negative 10. I have it at right now. So you, you'll give us money if they make the playoffs. Oh, absolutely. I'll give right. send you both a hundred dollars. Andrew zero for you. Yeah, it's gotta be zero. I was looking on fan graphs today, which they won't put a zero until you're mathematically eliminated. Uh-huh. And I think they have the Mets at 0.5% right now. Yeah, so it's, right. it's zero. Okay. I'll, I'll make a prediction this week. Then and I'll say zero as well. The only thing that gave me hope was that um, one of our series? players, who one of our players who struggled all year, had a big hit last night. Probably the first big hit he had all year, and that was McNeil. So that was a, yeah. that made me kind of say, well, maybe this will be a trigger because it was McNeil with a big play. But in the end, no, the answer is no. And Lindor, Lindor, Lindor struck out on a ball that hit him on his back heel, for goodness sake. <laughs> that was two nights ago. And last night, he did like the same thing. He swung at a ball, almost hit his back heel. I think that's he struck out and and didn't even run the first. But yeah, so no, 0%. I told you, he's taking those free batting lessons from Javi. Yeah, well. And you know, you know, Javi would have turned that into a single, though. He would Next have week, we'll out. talk about that we signed the wrong shortstop, but <laughs> that's moving right along. All right, let's get let's get right into uh, other notable MLB storylines this week. The AL MVP race is a big story right now. Let me, you guys, you, do you guys both know who it's between um, Vladdy Guerrero Jr. and Shohei Otani? Oh, now I do. All right. So, <laughs> so we've got one guy who's nearly got the triple crown right now, and then we've got Shohei. You would think, obviously, he's almost got the triple crown. This guy has got to be the favorite. But then you've got Shohei Otani, a pitcher, batter, beast. He's just great all around. Here's here's his statistics: pitching. 9 and 2 record. This is as of last week. 9 and 2 record. 3.36 ERA. 7.7 war. 44 home runs. 360 OBP. 605 slugging. 965 OPS. And 23 stolen bases. That's as of last week. Now, well, Guerrero has 23 stolen bases, huh? No, this is Shohei. Now, oh, now, I'll, now I'll read you Vladdy's stats. All right. 
Vladdy's got 6.8 war, which is the most among just batters. So best war besides Shohei, who's 7.7 .7 with his pitching stats. Uh, 46 home runs, 321 batting average, 105 RBIs. He's got four stolen bases, Jack. Mm -hmm. 411 OBP, 617 slugging, 1029 OPS. So one guy almost has a triple crown. I think, what is he not leading in? He's not leading in He's RBIs. He's not leading in RBIs, correct. Yeah, I think uh, Salvi Perez has that. Yes. And um, yeah, so it's a very interesting race. Andrew, yeah, who right. do you give it to? It's a very difficult decision. Yeah, I think it's close, but then also not close at all. Because, yeah, it, it is crazy, like you're saying, to think that there's a guy who has a shot at the triple crown realistically. Like I say, he's leading in batting average. He, I think he just lost the lead in home runs, but he still has 46 home runs. I think mm -hmm. right now he's one behind the lead or tied. So he has a legitimate chance at the triple crown, and I don't even think he stands a chance at MVP because Shohei Otani is just on an entire another level. I saw this one graphic. I'm just going to put it in the chat here. Comparing their stats, this is like a week or two old. But even looking at those stats, I mean, obviously, it's not close. If you only saw those stats, obviously, you got Vladdy ahead. Right. Because he's leading in, bat in batting average by a good margin. He mm -hmm. had, at the time, one less home run, a few more RBIs, and his OPS is yes. like Damn. 40 points higher. But then you look at the little tiny stat on the bottom. <laughs> Otani is 9-1, and one, yeah. 2 9 ERA, and 112 innings pitched. So yeah. you have a top 20 pitcher mixed with a top 2 hitter. Mm -hmm. there's, just, there's just no way that you can compete with that. So right. he's just doing something that no one has ever done. Even if Vladdy had the triple crown, you know, triple crown is not common, but it's happened 12 times, I think. There's mm -hmm. never been anyone to put up these kind of numbers. I mean, obviously, I guess going back to Babe Ruth. So, yeah, I don't think it's a contest. But Vladdy's making it interesting, at least. Jack, do you concur? Yeah, I, I do concur um, because, well, basically, Andrew said exactly it was spot on with all that. And um, yeah, this is something we've never seen before. I mean, one, there's two ways to look at it to me. Um, one way in particular, and that is, well, who would you rather have, who would you want to add to your team based on the performance this year? Well, obviously uh, Otani nine and two, I'll, t I'll take him every mm -hmm. time. Yeah. Um, you know, people used to ask me, well, who, who do you think is the greatest player in baseball history? And um I don't know who I say today, but I used to always say Babe Ruth. And why? Well, because he was a great pitcher. I mean, his lifetime, I think he was 93 and 44 lifetime, 92. and 40. Yeah, I mean, he was an excellent pitcher between 1915 and 1920. Mm -hmm. And so you add that in to all his, his hitting prowess and uh, the hitting, the pitching is what put over the top. So I think this is a similar thing where you say, well, okay, yeah, they look good. They both have great years offensively, but throw in the, the nine and two, uh, forget it. Uh, I'll take uh, Shohei myself as well. I agree with both of you. He's doing things that we haven't seen and nobody's really seen in their lifetime. So 
it's hard. I mean, if Vladdy was in the National League, it's an easy decision for yeah. for an MVP. Too bad for him. He's got Shohei over there. Do you guys think that this will happen again, or do you think this is another hundred years in in the making for the next Shohei to mm-hmm. to hit the major leagues? Well, I, I, Andrew, what do you think? I'll let you start there. Yeah, I would think probably not. I mean, we've had a few two-way prospects come up and they've just well a lot of them just haven't been good enough at either thing you know they've been when they were in high school and college they were the best hitter and the best pitcher but obviously Mm -hmm. the mlb is a whole nother beast and you also have the idea of you know going back 10 20 30 plus years in little league it always was the best pitcher was always the best hitter it's just he's the best athlete But now we're kind of seeing a thing where players get identified early on, like this guy's a really good pitcher, and then all they do is pitch. That's right. So then coming up, you have these guys who can't hit at all. You know, if you look at pitchers back 20 years ago and pitchers now, you got a few pitchers now who can hit, but most of them are horrible hitters because they just don't do it. Don't. Mm -hmm. So I think... You know, because Otani growing up in Japan, you just have this whole different mindset. I think that's why it even still could happen now. But I think yeah, if you were gonna way, have, you know, go ahead. Well, if you were gonna have an American player come up and do this, I really don't think that it would happen. No, it would. I was gonna say the same thing. It'd have to be a Japanese player, obviously, because in America, it's like you're gonna be a hitter, you're gonna be a pitcher, nasty into that. And I think even Shohei like, is insistent when he signed with the Angels. He said, well, I got to do both, otherwise I'm not coming. And that's, mm-hmm. and that's the only way they agreed to it was that he insisted that he would do both. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it may happen again, but it's going to have to be a foreign player. And, and it's really too bad. It's really too bad that these guys don't get a, a shot. And, of course, with DH going away in the NL, it, uh, it definitely will never happen again. Um, never sure. happen again. Freak. Well, then we definitely need to be giving him at the the MVP this year, huh? Yes, absolutely. Even though it is a slow pitch softball league compared to the National League, we'll <laughs> give it to him anyway. All right. Today is September twentieth, twenty twenty one. Andrew. Whoa, whoa, whoa! You're forgetting something very important. Oh my gosh! How could I forget our boy Sebi Zavala? Jack, give us the update. O for O since our last meeting. He's apparently no longer playing. In fact, uh, they started a different backup catcher last Saturday night, oh, I think it was. No. So, Sebi looks like he's stuck on five for now. And, hey, we got something to look forward to next year. That's you know, true. If, if he That's hit four true. home runs, uh, other than three hitting his first game, uh, we'd have nothing to talk about. But now we yeah. got to wait and see what happens next year. So wow, well, We'll really have to keep our eye on that then. We'll... We'll be watching oh, that's, you, Sebby. high priority for me this winter, yeah. Well, Jack, I, you already talked about what's been bo- what bothered you this week, but what else yeah, oh, specifically yeah. bothered you? You know, you have anything well, really you want to get off your chest? Now's well, I don't like Lindor swinging at balls that hit him in the back heel. But I With assume that's on not third, what you're going to talk about. He struck out with a man on third, <laughs> and then he didn't run. The ball like got away, and he was like pointing at his heel. I mean, he swung and missed, and he's pointing at his heel as if to say, do I get do I get the base on balls because the ball hit me even though I swing my bat? <laughs> well, what was I guess he was I don't know it's just odd. But I once know, again, I, look, I, I got to talk about Lugie again. 
I mean, I got to say how we're just ahead of the curve once again. Um, oh, well, last month we talked about how we're coming into a, a, a tie game in a ninth inning. Okay. Uh-huh. And now you have to make a decision. Who do you pitch in the ninth? Do you go with Edwin or do you go with Lugo slash Familia slash whoever? Uh-huh. And Louie was using Diaz in the ninth uh-huh. and Familia Lugo in the tenth. Well, the last week we had an extra inning game. I forgot to mention it last week on Lugie. And sure enough, he came in with Familia in the ninth and then Diaz, your strikeout pitcher in the tenth. And as we discussed, Lugie mm-hmm. discussed, you want a strikeout pitcher when you're starting the inning with a runner on second base, obviously. We also talked about last week how Villar needed to sit and give J.D. Davis a shot. Sure enough, two nights ago, or last night, Millar, in the middle of a four-for-30 slump with four singles, finally did sit, <laughs> and Davis got to start at third. I don't know if it did anything fours or not. I, I haven't looked at it that closely. But, you know, as I say, and then, you know, um, we already talked about Almara finally getting shipped out, so I'm pissed off because Lugie isn't uh, getting the credit they deserve for their um, insight, knowledge, and um, inebriation. So <laughs> I don't get it, but... So yeah, that's that's all this pissing. Oh, in ESPN. Oh no, we talked about that already. I'm sorry. ESPN, ESPN Lindor swinging that shit. Yeah, and you know, yeah, I can and, I can say I'm going to save a few for next week, but I'll have plenty more to say about. Of course, you have to music. save all that yeah. pent up anger and rage for other weeks because we love to hear about it. Let's move on though to the quiz this week. It's back. Ooh, Everybody's all right. Favorite segment. Love the quiz. So I'm going to give you guys three questions this week. Um, no old school, new school. Nicknames? No, no nicknames. We're just going to have three questions. Fun. They're kind of pop culture-y. You guys oh, ready? Oh, man. Yeah. Ready. <laughs> what was specifically designed to be the size and weight of a baseball? Other than a baseball? Other than a baseball. What product was specifically designed to be the size, size? and weight of weight. a baseball. Uh, weight? Huh? I can give you guys a hint if you'd like. I was going to say Nerf ball, but that's obviously wrong because of the weight. Right? That's Yes, that's wrong if you want me to rule one thing out for you. Well, I got one more for you. No, I don't any more. No, I mean, yeah, uh, you guys can ask for a hint. I can give you one hint. Yeah, I think we need a hint. Okay. What the year was this thing invented? The year... It's a late 1930s, early 1940s. <laughs> okay. Jeez, oh, Luis. That should help. That should help. Think oh, about okay. you know things that happened in the late 1930s, early 1940s. I guess. Oh, I think I know. I know. <laughs> oh, oh no! I know! I know! I know! I'm gonna text it to you. <laughs> Thank you. Good hint, though, Zach. Good hint. Andrew says grenade. Jack says hand grenade. I will accept both. The All answer right. is grenade. Yes. Pretty you cool, huh? Good. They're like, yeah. That's a good you know, question. What what can people do? You know what what can people throw far? And when they're, they're used to throwing yeah. far, you know, baseball. It's you know what? You know why that was a good question? Why is that? Because I got it right. Uh, All right. Next question. <laughs> I thought because it was an interesting factoid. Yeah. It is a good question. Go ahead. Yeah, anybody listening to these Lugie podcasts, you know, for the quiz, 
these questions are for you, really. They're very interesting this week. I dropped a hand grenade this morning, let me tell you. Right, <laughs> oh. Next question. Next question. Why did Dallas Green threaten to move the Cubs from Wrigley Field? That was in 1979. I knew you'd know this one, Jack. Well. You stink bug. Move them. Where was he going to move them to? Do you want? I can read. I can read it to you later, if you like. I can read you the whole synopsis. All right. Well, I took a guess. Andrew says they sucked, <laughs> and Jack <laughs> says bleacher bums. Yeah. The correct answer is actually the city would not let him let them install lights. Ah, interesting. City ordinance prohibited the, the Cubs from installing lights in the residential Lakeview neighborhood where Wrigley Field was located, bluntly stating that if there are no lights in Wrigley Field, there will be no Wrigley Field. Green threatened to move the Cubs to a stadium in northwestern suburban Schaumburg or Arlington Heights. Mm -hmm. The Chicago City Council and Mayor Harold Washington approved a change to the ordinance allowing the Cubs to install lights in 1988. That's right. So he was going to keep it in the city, it sounds like, just a different neighborhood. I'll tell you what used to happen. They always complain, like, if they were coming off a road trip, like a night game in L.A. on a Thursday night and had to come back and play Friday afternoon. Mm -hmm. Or coming back from somewhere on Sunday and having to come back and play on a month. So they hated coming off night game road trips and having to play day game the next day. That was that was their biggest issue with not having not having night games. And when they first started, when, they, when the lights came on in '88, they didn't use them often. It was mostly just for those types of situations where they wanted to give a team a little more time coming off a road trip. So yeah. Good, good question, Zach. Oh man, what a host! He's <laughs> oh, don't make me blush, Jack. Come on. Yeah, you do. You would do the same thing. Uh, what's All the right. third question? We're gonna move on to the third question. This one, I'm gonna give you guys multiple choice since it's tied right now, and I don't know if you will know this one. So, mm -hmm. um, here we go. What MLB pitcher would go on to become a United States senator? Are you ready for your choices? I don't I don't need a choice. Al Downing, Jim Bunning, Roger Clemens, wink wink, it's not him. <laughs> Lefty Grove. Jack is in quick with his answer. I'll give you the state too. I'll oh, I thought you said you didn't know this one. Oh my that. goodness. Andrew and Jack both got it right and both misspelled Bunning and then resent the, the correct spelling of Bunning. <laughs> <laughs> I guess autocorrect okay, break is on the tie. What state, what state was he a, a senator from? Sure, break, break the, tie. the tie. We'll break the tie. Andrew, you Texas. got one in 50 chance. Texas, Jack? Kentucky. That's correct. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations, Jack. You are yet again a winner. Jim Bunning actually Jim Bunning no hit the Mets. I believe that was in '64. Oh, so he was a good pitcher. And oh yeah, he won over 200. I think he won about oh, about 250 games. He was an All Star. Um, I don't think he made the Hall of Fame, but uh, did no hit the Mets, and he most spent most of his career with the Phillies. Also, sorry that I said he must be a good pitcher. You don't have to be a good pitcher to pitch a no hitter nowadays. Um, no, you don't. We've everybody's doing it. They're handing those things out. Left and right, 
especially in these last couple of years. All right, let's move right along to the question vault. Jack, I believe you have a new shortstop for your all-time team. Yeah, I'm going to pick someone who's, well, in some respect, he's obvious. But Javi in Baez. No. Oh, my gosh. No. <laughs> I'm going to pick my doppelganger. He's a six-foot-three-and-a-half oh, shortstop. Of which I was a six-foot-three-and-a-half shortstop back when I was playing in an industrial I mean, softball when you were league. Seven? I was in a softball league playing with a bunch of nerdy engineers, which was, uh-huh. I was one of them. Kyle Ripken Jr. was actually playing shortstop for the major leagues. He and I were born a month apart in 1960. We both started our careers at shortstop as tall shortstops. But as we got older and slower, we were moved over to uh, third base when he ended his career at third base. But Kyle Ripken, of course, is well known for breaking Lou Gehrig's record of consecutive games played. Mm-hmm. Lou's record was 2,130. Cal went another 500 games, three more seasons before he Jeez. finally sat down, 2,632. But, you know, other than that, he was, you know, we have a lot of good hitting shortstops these days and hit for power and hit a lot of long ball. Um, Ripken was unique. He was a, a, a power hitter, but back then he was pretty unique as a shortstop. He started his career as 82 played for 21 years to 2001 but at 3,000 hits 400 home runs lifetime batting average of 276 only batted 300 over 300 three times in a full season twice of those three he was the MVP in the league Uh so you talk about shortstop who was ahead of his time Uh because he was an excellent fielder um, but just a very steady very consistent 25 home runs, 190 RBI type of guy, and MVP twice, all-star, I don't know, probably 18 times, and of course broke the record. Now, when the night he broke the record, I was watching that night. A lot of mm-hmm. people were watching that night in 1998, but they were unfurling the number out in right field against the warehouse wall as a countdown, but... The game, they didn't unfurl the, the new record of 2131 off mm-hmm. that off that warehouse until the top of the or the bottom of the fifth, when the game was actually an official game. So you're, ah. you're playing the first four innings, waiting for the dramatic moment. <laughs> and then when it happened, the game was held up for 22 minutes as Cal was getting, you know, four or five minutes standing ovation. Then he did a jog around the entire interior of the stadium giving high fives to the fans it was, it was 95 1995 it was a gorgeous gorgeous moment in baseball history that's worth um youtubing um just to see that happen so because he and i are so similar in our careers i'm gonna pick uh the great cow ripkin as my shortstop all right great pick I wish I knew that was the pick because one of the candidates for uh this day in history was the end of Cal Ripken's streak was on oh. September 20th, 1998. Ah, it's the wow. first game that he did not play in. Wow. Look at that. That was a, yeah, it was a big moment. And um, he, I think he just decided to sit himself. He was like, you know, enough is enough. It was, um, I think, Nobody obviously, they, catch just, me. they expanded. Back then, they expanded to a 40-man roster, so they had plenty of people who were wanting to play. <laughs> so I think he finally just said, obviously. The other stat about that streak is that 3,700 players went on the DL 
um, during the time he never missed a game. So, <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, all right. Next week will be my second baseman. All right. We'll cap off the infield. Next, we've got Andrew's deep dive. Andrew, what do you have for us this week? Yeah, this one is, well, it's not exactly a deep dive, but it's kind of a funny story that I came across earlier today. Uh, So on November 22nd, 2017, uh, Dave Cameron, he was just a writer for Fangraphs, uh, but he writes an article about Eric Hosmer, Uh and he labels Eric Hosmer as the number one free agent landmine of the offseason. Landmine? Like bad? Yeah, so he's like, okay. he he writes, he's an above average big leaguer in the prime of his career, coming off the best season of his best season of his career. So Hosmer should get a nice contract this winter, but a nice contract for this kind of skill set would be eighty or ninety million dollars. I guess that he's going to get around one hundred twenty-five million. John Heyman projected one hundred sixty million. At those kinds of prices, Hosmer could very easily become one of the most overpaid players in baseball, <laughs> especially if he continues to just pound balls into the ground. So that was written on November 22nd. Then about a month later, December 20th, Dave Cameron, the same writer, puts out another tweet. He writes, Matt Adams got one year at $4 million to be a backup. Eric Hosmer is probably getting $100 million plus. So I'll just share these career numbers and walk away. And he just posts, it's a fan graphs link of Matt Adams and Eric Hosmer's career numbers. <laughs> and they are extremely, extremely similar. So he's just saying, basically, you know, people are going to be paying a ton for Eric Hosmer when Matt Adams is just as good. Then another month later, January 10th, 2018, Dave Cameron announces he is leaving Fangraphs to be a part of the Padres analytical team. Uh-oh. So he's, oh, so he's, no, so he's no longer working for Fangraphs. He's now working for the Padres. And then a month after that, Hosmer signs his eight-year, $144 million deal oh. with the Padres. So wow. this guy is just <laughs> bashing Hosmer, saying he's you know, an awful signing. He goes and gets hired with the Padres and then they go and sign him. And it has proven to be, to be a horrible signing. He is clearly (laughs) one of the most overpaid players in baseball right now. The last four years with the Padres, he's made $21 million a year each on that. You know, that's been his salary is $21 million a year. Mm -hmm. And his, Oh, that's, and he sucks. I mean, his 162 average is 20 home runs, 87 RBIs, and he's only batting 263. So, yeah, that's terrible. How did this guy end up? He went to the Padres and they signed him anyway? Yeah, I guess it was the thing where, you know, he's the new guy. I'm sure he didn't have that much pull. And I guess the GM or who, I don't really know the story, but I guess the GM and his guys wanted Hosmer. Oh and that was kind of when the Padres were kind of ending their rebuild and they wanted to start competing. So they needed kind of a big splash signing to get them going. But clearly Hosmer is not the right guy for that. Mm. Well, you know who his agent is? I just looked at it. Scott Boris. Oh, there you go. I don't know how that guy gets people to fork up this kind of money. He's like an expert <laughs> at it. Jeez Louise. Scott Boris. I wouldn't sign any of his players, including um, Eric Hosmer. What about Michael Conforto? 
That is crazy. <laughs> oh, jeez. <yeah. laughs> oh, wow. That. Oh, my gosh. No. We, Conforto. Oh, my gosh. Oh, jeez. I hate to see how much money we're going to try to keep him. That's, uh, well, obviously, that's Brooks Robinson. Jack, exactly. what can you tell me about about him? Well, Brooks about Robinson, well, he's, an, he's the greatest fielding third baseman in history. He oh. played at least 18, 19, 20 seasons, all with one team. The Orioles. So he was part of all that that '66 uh, championship team, the '69 team, the '70 '71 team, and he he probably hang around. He hung around a little too long. But Brooke Robinson was um, greatest fielding third baseman of all time. And he, why do you ask? Well, this week I'm going to ask you about the 1973 Baltimore Orioles. I want to know what you have to say about them, and then I'm going to upload the ugliest Ooh, guy on the team. 73 Orioles. Well, um, I think they lost to the A's that year in the um, no, the Tigers. I think the 73 Orioles. Oh, you're going to put up Andy Etcheverry, aren't you? I don't know. Andy Etcheverry is, I think, the ugliest player on there. <laughs> you mean this guy right here? Yeah, that's the guy. <laughs> Hell yeah, he's well known for being. He's one not of the ugly. He just has a unibrow. But yes, he was the ugliest person on the team. <laughs> I knew it. I knew you were gonna go Andy Etcheverry. Uh, it's, it's, it's 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 way too hard to resist. Way too hard to resist putting that unibrow up on that. Yeah, no, he's oh, he's famous for being. Uh, but this was a pretty ugly team. I'll put up another one for you. Yeah, if you ever want to read a great book, um, this guy's not great looking. Ball four. Uh, yeah, I don't know who that is. Oh, he was on the um. Enos Cabell. Enos Cabell. Okay, yeah, he was third baseman for them. Andy Etchebarren. Yeah, he's well known ugly player. But the '73 Orioles, they were just about done. They had just come out of that great '69, '70, '71 run that they had. '72, they did not. Win the pennant. Um, so, so by '73, Frank's Ro- well, Frank Robinson was gone by then because he his career was just almost over. Um, Brooks Robinson, his career was almost over. He was about done. Bobby Gritch was at second base, I think, for that team. He was a good young player for the '73 right, Orioles. Bobby Gritch. Mark Belanger was also at the end of his career, near the end of his career. Was he still there in '73? Yep, shortstop. And he was he was also getting old. I think they still had Paul Blair. Who's also was getting to the yep, end. Center fielder. Um, Boog Powell was also getting to the end of his career. That's um, right. First baseman. Yeah. So those guys were just all getting old together. And um, well, you know, the um, the 70 team is famous because they had four guys that won 20 games. Oof. Can you believe four guys on one staff winning 20 wow. games? Well, the 1970 Orioles did that. So by 73, those guys are mostly gone, like Mike Cuellar, Dave McNally, Jim Palmer was still there and still pitching well. So it was not a significant team because they were they were past their prime and, and they weren't winning anything by that point. But Bobby Gritch was a good player for them at second base. Yeah, you still got their whole infield, an outfielder. Well, you know. Some pitchers, you know. Yeah, I can't give you softballs every week. That was well done. You did. Yeah. You knew a considerable yeah. amount of you guys. Know, actually, I was going to recommend Andy Etcheberry to you a few weeks ago as an ugly player. So. Wow. You know that? all the ugliest players. <laughs> Tell me who I need to pick next week. Make my job oh, even well, easier. I, I got a couple guys for you. I got a couple guys for you. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> well, let's move on to the Joe West Award this week. Do we have a new winner? Lord. Please tell me now. 
sadly we do not have a new winner yay uh we have a repeat offender that's good that's good doug eddings we all know and love him <laughs> hey dougie oh, um this game is so bad he clearly wanted to go home early at this game if our you first three-time winner right Yep, our oh. first three-time winner. He had 86% accuracy, 19 wrong calls. Uh. I think all but one of his wrong calls were strikes that were quite a bit out of the zone. Uh, if you look at his, I forget what they call it, but they basically build a strike zone with his calls, and it is probably twice the area of a normal strike zone. That is massive. Uh, yeah, so quite an ugly game for Doug. Our, I think you're right. He wanted to go home. Well, it's a Sunday game. It wasn't Sunday night. It was Sunday. So, yeah, he probably had Monday off, wanted to fly home, be with the family. and That's ridiculous. I might have to reconsider the award name soon with Dougie winning his third. And Joe's still stuck on one. Come on, Joe. Put in some work, buddy. You're getting embarrassed out there on your own award. Bill Clem, Bill Clem would, would be on his 14th straight week of winning here. What's who who won the Bill Clem Award this week? Bill Clem, we have another new winner. We keep hey, keeping that go. streak going. That's good. Uh, this week what? is Gabe Morales at ninety-seven percent accuracy, five wrong calls. Very good game. I looked up his stats for this year. He's I eighty percentile for accuracy and consistency. So probably top ten, top fifteen umpire in the league. Um, obviously hasn't won it until now but he is a very good umpire he's young too he's only 37 years old hey we're getting some good ones Mm -hmm. that's always good to hear again these guys should be uh we should hear more about these guys that's why we're doing bill clem award man we had a female umpire yet in the major leagues i don't think so i don't think so either okay well that's something to aspire to for all you young ladies out there listening. Yeah, Gabrielle Morales next week. Come on. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> all right, let's get on to the role-player draft where surely uh, Jack will win again. Yeah, I mean, come on. I've given up. All right, here we go. Andrew, pitch. Andrew, how many home runs did Shohei Otani hit for you? Zero for Shohei. He's gone cold. Now that he's, okay. now that he's got now the he's MVP on lock. Yeah, it's, it's locked down. He's fine. All right, how about Pete, Big Peter? Uh, one home run for Pete. Hey, not very good. Vladdy. I'll just say, Pete quietly has 33 home runs this year. I mean, he's not, he does have not a quite run. near the leaders, yeah. but, I mean, 33 is solid. It's a solid year. Uh, Vladdy had one home run this week. Oh, what? Ah, so I tied. I guess you did, Jack. I guess you did. You needed that tie, didn't you? All right, let's move on. Base stealer, Starling Marte. How many did he have for you, Andrew? Zero for Starling this Zero. week. I think he got caught a couple times. Ah, uh, he's in timeout. How about Wit? Zero for Wit as well. Oh boy, Trey Turner. How many did he have? Two stolen bases. Hey, yeah, baby. Had a boy Trey. Second win ever. Took you long enough. All right, let's move on to Serial Walker. How many? Walks did Max Monkey draw this week for you? Max Monkey, one walk. He sucks. Huh, man. He was he was well off early on. All right, how about Juan Soto, the king? Only four for Juan. Is it enough to do it, though? Bryce Harper? Six for Bryce Harper. Oh, yeah, baby. Probably going to be NL MVP. 
Yep. Yeah. Soon to be. Hey, you know, he's been out of the running for a bit after being such a hot guy for so long. And, you know, good, good for him. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was going to say, it's nice to see a guy that signs a huge contract be a player. Even though I'm going to be honest, I've never been a Bryce Harper fan. Well, nobody is. It's good to, it's, for some reason, it's good to see him doing well, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Him being in the division of the Mets, you know, it's not going to be so great for so long, but good for him. Strikeout batters, let's move on. Javi Baez, how many did he get for you this week, Andrew? Four Ks this week for Javi. That's pretty Mm. good. Joey Gallo? Only one strikeout. They probably benched him. He hit like three home (laughs) runs, I think. Jeez. Oh, how about Matt Chapman? This is his week. Three strikeouts. Oh, oh boy. Uh, Javi wins with another four. Here. That was the weakest strikeout win, maybe. No, no. I, I won with a four one time. Never mind. All right, let's move on. Strikeout pitcher, Garrett Cole. How many seven, have? His, seven Ks for Garrett. His bad outing. Wow, good for him. Zach Wheeler for Jack. Six Ks for Zach Wheeler. Come on, Wheeler. He hasn't won a against us. category yet. Oh, he Brandon, got Brandon Woodruff. Seven for Woodruff. A little ah, bit of a bounce tie. back. Another week. tie. Ah, that, that, that helps me. I don't think so. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on to Johnny Walker. What pitcher had the most walks this week? Luis Castillo for Andrew? Two walks for Castillo. Andrew, give a, you got to trade that guy in. He's too good. I know. He's, <laughs> he had 10 strikeouts, I think, this week. Blake Snell. Blake did not pitch. Hey, you know, big goose egg. Sucked. Zach Davies? Three walks for Davies. All right. Third consecutive win for I need Zach this. Davies. I need heart. heart All right. Heart. All right, Antti DeGrom, earned runs allowed this week. How many did Colby Allard give up? Colby, Colby Allard gave up five earned runs. Ooh, very good week for him. And by good, I mean bad. Matt Harvey for Jack. Did not pitch. Did not Dark pitch. Knight was sleeping. Did not I pitch. Got a, I got a sun and sun Patrick sun. Corbin? Patrick Corbin gave up five earned runs as well. <laughs> oh, you guys only going to have baby. a point again. Yeah, baby. Sucks. I think I won this week. Zach with a decisive victory. Four and a half points. I had two. Jack only with a half a point. Oh, my gosh, Jack. Go home. Look, look. I've been dominating. I don't want to hear it. This 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 thing's starting to suck anyway. I'm coming up the left side, baby. I don't know how much much I like this anymore, but... uh... Not that I hey, lost. Maybe you, need to pick, maybe you need to pick up a new player like I did. You know, it yeah, took years me, for me to build my team. Give me a Jordan Lyles as my, um, for my worst pitcher. My okay. Grom. For Matt Harvey? Yeah. Gotcha. Does he have a cool nickname like um, the Dark Knight? Um, he, he's, yeah, his, his nickname is Run Giver. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd have some gem for us. Thank you. <laughs> All right. I'd like to thank my uh, my team for putting up those big numbers this weekend. Let's move right along. Let's move on to the music this week. I Two weeks ago, I picked Tame Impala's Currents, and I'm interested to hear what you guys think. We'll start with Andrew. Currents was very good. I listened to it twice. Um, I really enjoyed... It's just the the synth, the psychedelic. Um, I 
got, I don't know who the singer is, but I got like some like John Lennon vibes kind of sounded like to me. There were mm-hmm. a few songs mm-hmm. that, that really stuck out to me. Um, so it might, it was almost like a Beatles and Rush combo for a few of those songs, kind of like the voice for the Beatles, not as much guitar as Rush would have, but kind of some of those mm. similar sounds. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. The one song that stuck out to me, uh, new person, same old mistakes. Did not know that that was, well, that Rihanna had covered that. Mm-hmm. on Auntie, so I heard it the first time and I was like, oh, this okay, I actually know a song. And mm-hmm. then it was going, I was like, oh wait, this is not the song I know, but it's very <laughs> familiar. Yeah, um, But that was very good. Because um, I'm a man, good. Eventually, I think those are probably my top three. But yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed it. I'd probably give it a 8.5 out of 10. Very good, very good. I agree. Good album. Jack, let's hear what you have to say. Well, it did re- remind me of the Unknown Mortal Orchestra. So you guys might want to, if you like these guys, check out Unknown Mortal Orchestra. Oh, yeah, I know. Band you might like, yeah. Um, for me, though, the, this whole mid-tempo, psycho, psychedelic, um, pop, atmospheric type of thing is really... A little too much of that for me on this record. Uh-huh. Um, this Did is, you smoke it is a, It is a, I, I probably should have. For <laughs> but it's a little. It, it's a. It, because of the 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 atmospheric aspect of it, I really couldn't get into too much of it. I, I did like Let It Happen, number one, which led off the record. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a bit of a departure for Tame Impala in terms of the fact that he got away from the guitar. Got away from a little bit more of the up-tempo pop sound that he had in the previous albums. Because uh, Lonerism, the previous record, is my favorite from Tame Impala. So this mm-hmm. was a more of a more of a fuzzed-out sound that um, I didn't really appreciate as much. A lot more of the synth, not enough guitar. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm going to have to give it a 5.5. But I would definitely give Lonerism uh, more of the eight uh, on a scale of one to ten. So I'd like to see him go back to his uh, previous style. So, but I, I, you know, I enjoyed it. Well, he's released an album since. If you want to check it out, it's definitely um, different than Currents, but definitely even further, I would say, from Lonerism. Um, you know, you, you you can check it out. It's called the Slow the Rush. Slow Rush. Yeah. Have I'm you heard Inner Speaker? I, I haven't, uh, that's, uh, I did, Inner Speaker is more like Lonerism. Yes, that's right. So I'm, I'm, I, I'm going to try to, I'll probably download those and try to cobble together a, a best of from those two records. But, um, but yeah, I, mean, I like what the guy's doing. He's Australian, you know. Yep. Yep. And a lot of great bands from Australia. Lots of great bands from Australia. Check out Pond if you haven't. I'm giving this record a 10 because I like every song on this record. It's my kind of music. What can I say? It's just a uh, sit back, close your eyes, listen to the yeah, music. Yeah, I do like that a little bit more. And just, ah, very, very relaxing. Also, great lyrics in this album. I don't know if you guys got to hear a lot of the words. I know it's kind of hard mm-hmm. to hear the words of albums. Jack, I know you don't love listening to lyrics. I've been but... listening to songs for 50 years. I still don't know the words to them. So, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> very good lyrical album. 
he won an award for for lyricism on his newest album. Great, great lyrical artist. I'm giving it a ten. One of my favorites of all time. Well, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the slow rush. The review for that it's a mix of Stone Roses, Daft Punk, Pharrell Williams, Washed Out. So I'm like, that is something I might get into also. So I'm definitely gonna check out the. Uh, it's definitely more poppy. Slow rush, yeah, that's more my style, as you know. Of course. But thank you, Zach, for a great record and turning me on to Tame Impala because I'm definitely gonna well, listen to more of those guys. Well, now it's your turn, I think, to turn us on to oh, a record really? this week. Are you shitting me? Is that right, Andrew? Is it his turn? Uh, I believe okay. so. I got one for you, and now the only reason I'm going this way is because Zach was talking about it, this this lean back atmospheric type music. So this one. Um, Simple Minds, before they became mega superstars okay. in the late 80s, uh, they were on the Breakfast Club soundtrack with Don't You Forget About Me. But before that, they were not very popular and they had a different sound. But New Gold Dream, 81, 82, 83, 84 is the name of the record. And All those uh, numbers? No, just new gold dream. That that'll get it for you. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm excited. So yeah. Now it's, it's got some good. There's a few excellent dance tunes on there, but there's some real atmospheric, laid back, laid up a doobie type of sound as well. It is truly their masterpiece. And you, Zach, you will recognize a couple of songs on that record from okay. hearing around the house. But new gold dream is their is their classic. From Simple Minds, and it was before they got all mainstream, so uh, it's worth a listen. All right, very excited to listen to that. Yeah, thank you, Jack. Like thank one. you. Yeah, yeah. All right, and thank you all for joining us for episode 14 of Loogie. Hope you all enjoyed it, and join us next Thursday for episode 15. Jack, you got anything to say about Rojas? <laughs> I I don't know how. I mean, I, I would assume he's going to get <laughs> I didn't fired. mean to start you on a tangent. <laughs> I just thought, thought you'd say. Fire I'm assuming he's going to get fired October 3rd or whatever the hell our season ends. I mean, you know, sometime between when the season ends and the first pitch of the playoffs, hopefully he'll get fired. That is all I have to say. Thank, Thank you, you and good night. Thank you and good night. Andrew, you want to say anything to the fans out there? Yeah, fire Rojas. All right, then. We're all in agreement. <laughs>